Natural High. Hello friends and welcome to The Natural High. This week I'm lucky enough to be talking to Dr. Morgane Gay, who's a food futurologist, sailor, nomad, child star, and more recently a speaker at TEDx. It's hard to list all the stuff that we get through here in the next hour or so. Suffice to say, it's uber relevant, fascinating, bizarre, weird, and wonderful in equal measure. You can find and contact Morgane at morganegay.com and I have no doubt this week that you will most certainly enjoy the show. The Natural High. I don't drink. Never had any alcohol in my life, no. Wow, you must have so many advantages in your life because of that. <laughs> well, I that don't simple know. fact. Was it sort of a cultural thing in your family or where you're from that you didn't drink? What was that about? Um, well, I grew up in partially in the Middle East, um, so my dad was there for 22 years. So that was, you know, sort of a stable family home. Wow. And all my friends, of course, people didn't drink, so we always used to go out and we'd have like Coke and peanuts or whatever. You know, <laughs> just didn't mm-hmm. even think about it. It was just normal. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. I have sort of um, long hiatuses from alcohol. Uh, I do enjoy it, but I sort of, whenever I drink, I always just find myself enjoying it too much and the sort of bar just sort of lowers over time. And then when I have periods of not drinking, and I even wrote a book about it, you ju- I feel so good, especially like, you know, after a month or two, the energy levels go up, the sleep improves, the clarity, mental clarity improves. Obviously, <laughs> your bank balancing improves. I mean, th- there is no downside. You sound like such a clean liver. You must have some kind of vice. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got one. It depends on how you judge it, doesn't it? I don't know. I've never done drugs. Like a guilty pleasure of some kind. Terry Wogan? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No. um... I'm obsessed with Terry Wogan. I need (laughs) help. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. No, 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 just me. You. Oh, um... I think because I had such a weird life and I left home quite young and I wasn't really parented by either parent, don't have any other family, I travelled an extraordinary amount and was really just a kind of snowball of scrapes and adventures and the next thing and the next thing. And so I suppose my vice would be that I've spent a lot of money and time travelling and I don't mean holidays. Yeah, but no, but vices have to be bad for you. Vices have to be bad for you. That's not, traveling is never bad for you, is it? I want a bit more context about your early life because you've talked about spiritual communities. You've talked about meeting the Dalai Lama. I couldn't just let those ones go. Can you, as far as you're comfortable, tell me about like that early part of your life? Basically, I had a very unconventional upbringing with two people who my friend has once described as jungle animals, who were my parents who came along now and again, sniffed and went, yes, she's one of ours. Wow. so I very on very non-maternal mother and very and absent father living in other countries. Hippies. Um, oh God, no! My okay. mum was a butcher. Wow. And yes. Nobody's ever said that to me before. My mum was a butcher. <laughs> yeah, my mum was a butcher, and and my dad was a bodybuilder. Oh my and God! So she fed yeah. his muscles, basically. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't like each other too much. So so they separated young, but neither of them remarried. And I was the only child. And I now have two children, which is one my mum and the other's my dad. And I didn't have children. <laughs> oh my it's got God. those two. 
So it all was forgiven then, basically, and you now nurture them in the way that they should have nurtured you. Oh, I never not forgave them. I right. was, I was, I was a mum by the age of seven. I was wow. travelling around the world on my own by the time I was eleven. Oh my God! What an incredible upbringing. So this is all stuff we're not supposed to be talking about, right? I know. Well, yeah, because it's just a little bit weird. I, it's because it's. I almost should write a proper book about yeah, this. Yeah, that's the book not weird at all. Yeah. I mean, actually, if that's weird, then that's exactly what I'm looking. I'm looking for weird. Oh, you're looking for weird. It's yeah, of weird. course. Like, what an amazing story. Would, people would never know. I mean, the thing is, it would actually, if I told you the truth of it, it's the sort of stuff where I would be in care. In this day and age, I'd be wow. in care. Yeah. So that's why you're a little bit protective about the information. Yeah. What about oh, the no, Dalai Lama? Can you talk about that? Oh God, God. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, I mean, I for for um, different periods of time, I think I was always searching because I was looking for my family, like because I was always looking for a family. So as soon as it ever came to anything like Christmas, I'd always think, OK, which family can I spend Christmas with? Because I'd like to have a Christmas. So I've been looking for a family. Aww. So that that theme, that theme has not gone yet. <laughs> so right. available. I'll be coming over. So so um, I I think I continued that and ended up living in spiritual communities um, one of which was Findhorn in the north of Scotland and and Tell us about in it. California. Yeah. You, you went to Esalen uh, in California. That must yeah. have been a particularly pricey place to stay. I, I, I've looked into Esalen several well, times. I really want to go, but then, it's well pricey. Well, then I don't know if they do it now, but you just go as a zero. I don't what know if they mean? still do that, which means you're you're nothing. Nothing. And you, well, you work just go as a and zero, be there. which is... Yeah, and you work and you don't okay. get anything, you just get bored and food. I don't think but that, that was a long time that happens ago. now. It's a really posh retreat. Well, this is a spin off from Findhorn. So, a couple of the people from Findhorn went over to and set up Esalen. Wow. Um, Shinoa's up the road. And there's quite a lot of those sort of communities that have been a spin off from the Findhorn Foundation, which wow, was set I up in the that. 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so, and it's in the north of Scotland. and a lot more it's a lot less uh, i know what esalen's become you know it's more like a kind of residential for businesses to send their workers for a week to get a spiritual tune in with a on a lecture type thing isn't it it's a little bit like that and you've got so it's much more corporate things. basically yeah yeah whereas fintorn is not so much like that i mean it mm. might be a bit more like that now but but yeah back then um so i i stayed there lived there and lots of different famous people come through and i remember i you probably don't know this person but stanislav groff who developed holotropic breathing um he was doing workshops workshops then i was ironing in his ironing his shirts i mean i think it was like that and ram das you know the do you know yep. what i mean by ram das mm. so, yeah so you know drop in drop out all of that or whatever it is all of that. I mean, he's amazing, and he only recently died. Um, but I remember having lunch with him a few times. Everybody was there passing, passing through, and the Dalai Lama was one of those people. My God! And, and he you, blessed, and he, he blessed everyone. He, you, he wore he? this like silk scarf, and he blessed everyone. I threw the scarf away because it was a bit of old rag in the end. But he blessed. You sort of blessed this silk scarf and put it around your head, and then touched your head with this metal cup. I mean, my memory's really bad, but I do remember him touching my head with that metal cup a little bit too hard. And really? I thought, well, bloody hell, so much. <laughs> I think he was busy, you know, trying to get were, through the lines of people. You were struck by the Dalai Lama. That's a News of the World headline, if ever I've almost, heard of one. Almost struck down, yeah. But it's a long time ago, you know. So amazing. there's lots of people coming through, and it was amazing. But but actually more amazing than the, sort of the famous names, really, was just the, just the idea of community work, you know, love is work in action, serving, 
um, the best job I've ever had in my life to this date was mm-hmm. washing dishes at Findhorn. Unpaid. Really? The best ever. And how long did you stay there for? I went back, actually. So I've spent a few different periods there. Oof, and have you always felt loved and, and, and cared for there? Is it a really nice vibe, nice community? Has that place changed? Has that evolved and developed into something more corporate now? Or has it still got that real sort of hippie community vibe about it, if indeed that's what it was? I don't think it was a hippie community. It's always been a working community. It's quite structured. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think you go there and feel loved because when you rock up, you know, if I rocked up now, you feel like the outsider and everybody's got their world there and they kind of, I wouldn't say ignore you, but they have to protect themselves because they're trying to live their life and they've got foreign people in the influx of people coming through all the time. You can't sort of be constantly distracted by these one week visitors. Mm. So I think you feel loved, but you, you feel like you're in a place of like mindedness and you, make you do things that are meaningful and is there a clear mission set out in the sort of edicts of the place is there like a a rule book of any kind like a mission statement or is it just just go there and find peace definitely not the latter (laughs) (laughs) i I wouldn't say go there and find peace i would say learn i think what you learn there is how to communicate Mm -hmm. and how to be mindful and how to be honest with yourself and others. Hmm. Oof, God, I don't even know what it is. I mean, I think it's different for everyone, but... How did you discover you it in the first place? Oh, because I, I was living in Hong Kong, hmm. and I was a, chi- I was a child t- teenage TV presenter, and wow. I was quite well-known well in, hmm. in Hong Kong because I was live in front of 7 million a night. Wow. And... Yeah, and I was quite young, and I was just, oh, I just thought it was all a load of rubbish, really. But, but because of, just of the time, you know, because of where I was and the time, and I didn't realise, you know, all of these hundreds of friends that would come to my birthday party, I didn't right. know any of them, you know. I had this meaningless life in a way. I mean, I was up to all sorts of things. I was painting big murals, which are still there, and and I was doing all sorts of things, working for ad agencies. But I had this telly job, and every night I was on telly, and and, it, I, and I felt like my life became meaningless, and I was out every night. I know I don't drink, but I was partying, dancing, people I'd never met. Who? How old were you at this out. point? Twenty nineteen. Okay, okay. 20? When you said ch- a child, a child TV presenter, I was thinking like TV, 12. teenage, teenage. Oh, so teenage, maybe I was okay. nineteen. Okay, cool. God. Uh, wow. And so, but you must have liked that lifestyle for a while before it all turned sour, or you got sick of it. You must have, you know, did this? Did the celebrity never go to your head? It didn't. I just. The thing is, because of the way my life's been, it's just been a snowball of next, next, next. I've not been present to any of it because mm. I was just running. Right. I was running away from home and I was running from the next thing. And then when I was in Hong Kong, I was, you know, I went there with my boyfriend from the Middle East and then he kicked me out. And then I ended up living with, you know, just one thing after another, after another, just constant kind of chaos, basically. Wow. What a colourful and, life. Well, nothing meant anything in a way. And I think I really got to the pinnacle of that. But at the same time in Hong Kong, I was also going to a... A Lao Tzu, uh, Lao Tzu is like a Chinese Buddhist, um, almost looks like uh, looks like the Buddha. 
mm-hmm. and and it was like a meditation group where someone would channel and speak in tongues of Lao Tzu, the Chinese like prophet, mm. and would sort of start speaking. This American guy, and we used to sing stuff. It sounds so vague. I mean, I can remember it now. And I was sort of into all of that, you know, and there were psychics there and different people. And I went to a psychic and she said, oh, you should read the book, The Findhorn Garden. I'd never heard of it. And while I was at this meditation place, somebody had this book on their bag. And I said, oh, my God, I need to read that book. She said, well, actually, I'm going to the Midsummer Festival there in a few months. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I've got to go. And she said, I don't think there's any places left. And I said, if there's a place, it's mine. Yeah. And I called up, and there was one place left, and it was mine. Wow. And I went. And was it good? Oh, it blew my mind. Really? Changed my life. And I, yeah, because I eventually, when I did go back, I went there, I went to, uh, <laughs> I mean, oh, God, there's too much to tell you. This is. Oh, I know, so it's much. incredible. But how, it's how, did, crazy, you cha- how did the crazy. festival change your life? Well, because I got there, you know, here I am. I got on a train from London to Findhorn, which is something like it's an overnight train. It's a sleeper train. It's like 12 or something hours. And I got there and I remember they put me in this little caravan and, and there's part of me thinking, don't you know who I am? I mean, I've got a, I've got a maid in Hong Kong, for God's sake, you know, I'm, you know, here I'm swanning around with fame, darling. You know, there's sort of that thing was going on in my mind and a bit of that. And they put, I'm in this caravan just thinking, Jesus, this is not this is not good. And and I just had the life-changing experiences i cried which i hadn't cried in years i couldn't connect to my feelings at all um i stood around singing in big oh just it was just brilliant it was wonderful and after that i remember thinking uh, and i ended up randomly going crewing the set on the south china sea race back to hong kong um because i was i was a yes person someone asked me to do something yes i'll do it so then I'm on a South China Sea race, never never sailed in my life. This is and, absolutely hilarious. You could not write this. You couldn't make it up. Well, that's why I can't make it up. That's why I can't possibly write a book. No one believe it. So, it just goes on and on. So you went so to this anyway, festival. You went to this festival, which changed your life. Yeah. You cried. You had an amazing time. And you met somebody there who said, I want you to be on the crew of the South China oh, Sea. Oh, no. No, someone just phoned me randomly the next week and said, um, I've got a... We've gone to something. We've come one way, but we need to get back from from flight to Manila. You've got to get to Manila, and then and I remember actually sitting. Oh God, I sat in an airport. I couldn't even get on the flight to Manila. I just sat in the airport till the pilot came along and asked me if he could put me on the jump seat. This is back in the day, right? (laughs) What's the jump jump seat? seat. The jump seat is a pilot seat, isn't it? No, the jump seat is like if there's a one extra seat on the plane. You don't get food or drink or anything. Uh, they just strap you in, like okay. the random seat, deadheading for um, crew or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I begged him. I mean, I, you know, here I am. Just by the way, I looked twelve, even though I was twenty. I had middle parting and plaits, blonde hair. <laughs> I mean, I looked twelve, and and so he put me on the jump seat to Manila. And I got off at Manila, and then we crewed this boat. I remember thinking, what the bloody hell am I doing? Anyway, and, you, and I got you on crewed the boat, the boat from where to where. Manila to Hong Kong. And did you have South to China like, Sea. And so you learnt to sail on the job, basically. Yeah, I can't remember a thing there now. And wow. I, yeah, and do night watch and all of that. And then, as soon as I stepped on the ground in Hong Kong, I thought, I'm leaving. I'm done. And I was doing t- children's TV then and different bits of things. And yeah, it was just my time was up. Been there. And so you done where? So you came back to the to England or to? 
I went to, I think then I went back to Findhorn. Okay. And just Didn't sort of grounded long. yourself for, for a little while. Yeah, very little while. <laughs> that's that, yeah. that's an amazing story. And just, just to go back to the Dalai Lama very quickly, did you get an, a positive aura <laughs> from him or can you not really remember? Can't remember any of it. Right. That's all I remember. I remember the silk scarf that was scrambled up in the bottom of my drawer, like a white, creamy silk scarf. And mm. I love the guy. I'd love to meet rag. him. Love to meet the Dalai Lama. I just can remember. I can remember so just bits because there's so much, and because I wasn't that present, there was a lot going on all the time. Mm. And I was. My uncle once described me as a ship with no one at the helm. Um, <laughs> Which was probably true. I was very offended at the time, but it was probably true, really. I mean, you know, I was, I've been up to, I've done a lot of different things, you know, mm. not long after Fintorn, at the second time when I went back and you say grounded myself mm, a little bit and then ended up, oh God, you know, with a boyfriend that I'd met there selling everything we owned and cycling around Australia, you know. <laughs> it was just Hilarious. one stupidity to another. Let me it tell doesn't you. sound stupid at all. It sounds like oh, an incredibly colourful life. It was stupid. What were we thinking? It's massive. We Don't no you think? Idea. But do you think that all of these incredible experiences you've had in your life have shaped you and made you the person that you are today, and made you the yeah, made you feel more complete as a consequence because you have done all of these things rather than just sort of sat away in some dark room for your whole life and wondered what. It would have been like if you'd done this or done that. Like the fact that you've said yes to everything means that you've got a, had a wonderfully colourful life and you're still alive to tell the tale. Uh, well, that's the miracle, really. I mean, like I said, I don't drink, but, but thank God, I'd be dead. <laughs> I, I really would. I mean, I've, there's been some really crazy, hairy moments. I mean, actually more when I was much younger mm. than even when, I was, even when I was doing that nonsense but yeah definitely in my teens i you know in the middle east i ended up in some really dangerous really dangerous things really um yeah just i always just wanted adventure mm. and i don't think you know, going why do you think you wanted adventure were you like searching for something bored bored, bored. okay bored child mm -hmm. no no one to play with no parents who played with me very limited, no books, no music at home, just no in, no stimulation at all, uneducated parents. Um, so there was nothing coming to, you know, nothing. I wanted a voracious need for input, and I there was none. Wow. Stimulus. Yes, anything. God, anything. So that I don't think that's changed much, actually. Um, you, you've still got that, that appetite to do new a things. Bit. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, and would you yeah. say that's reflected in your current pursuits? Well, I've I mean, how did they come about? What pursuits? <laughs> edible love, edible oh, love, and food oh, futurology. Okay. Yes. Oh. So with edible love, um, it actually, I started. Uh, I was working on a film set in Puerto Rico. It was actually Dirty Dancing. Of course dancing. you were. Of course you were. <laughs> it, was, it was Dirty Dancing 2. Really? And I haven't even heard of that. That's how bad the no, sequel must have think, been. I don't think exactly. It, I, yeah, it, yeah, it really. Actually, Patrick Swayze visited the set. I do remember that. He probably just wanted a holiday in Puerto Rico. Um, but, so he wasn't in uh, He wasn't in Dirty he Dancing 2? He wasn't in it, no. How could you have Dirty Dancing without Swayze? I, well, I don't know. God, I don't know. I think it was called Havana Nights. And wow. It, Post, I don't even understand what it was about, frankly. I've, I've got the DVD somewhere. Mm. Um, but 
so yeah, I was working on that and I went blind momentarily trying to cross a road late at night. All the crew were there. And I'd heard about this place that I'd read about because I was living in New York and I lived in New York for quite uh, six years. And so I was living in New York, ended up on this film set and I had this incident where I lost my sight. I think I was probably looking back, probably having some ocular migraine or something, but I'd never had that before and didn't know what was going on. Mm. And I said, frightening, horrific. Oh, yeah. Frightening. Yeah. And I said, take me to this place that I read about that's in Puerto Rico that I'd read about in New York. And they took me to this place. And it was a raw food place. And I thought I was pretty healthy by it. I mean, you know, I thought I ate quite clean. Hmm. Um, it was now, this was 90, uh, 2000. It was just after 9-11. So I've been in 9-11. 2002. So you're, 2002. you're probably still something of a pariah as a, like a vegan or a vegetarian, or particularly a vegan. What then? Yeah, I mean, it was oh, sort of oh, yeah. pretty left, left field at that point, wasn't it? Yes, probably. Not so bad then. Okay. No, I think, you know, especially in New York and there's a lot of options and Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier. But 2002, and it was a raw food, vegan raw food place that was kind of about wellness. And it was, and I I went there and that was a real game changer in terms of knowledge about the gut, the colon, your poo, Mm -hmm. everything you eat, what you can do, changing your health state. And it gave me a ton of information. So I was there for a few weeks. It felt like a lifetime. God, it was Was hard. Was this a course? Did you go to a a course? course. It was a course, yes. Mm -hmm. And and then after that, I just thought, oh, this is well and good. But, I mean, they have you soak your almonds for three days and then peel them. Oh and I was just like, I thought, who has got time for that? So I, was, <laughs> so I developed, with the bit of knowledge I had and the stuff I'd learnt there, I made this shake that I thought it was only going to take me a minute in the morning to make, and I made this shake. Okay. So since 2002, I've been making this shake. Mm-hmm. And, and then many, many years later... Are you allowed later, to tell us what's in the shake, exactly? Oh, yeah, it's, it's exactly the ingredients in... It's exactly the same ingredients in Edible Love. Okay. The super shake, in Edible Love, it's exactly the same ingredients. Nothing's wow. changed. Yeah, so, so then I was doing little talks at uh, yoga studios and I'd do these talks about health and wellness, so rebounding, skin brushing, urine therapy. I mean, this was also quite a long time ago when all this was quite new. People weren't talking about maca and spirulina back then. People weren't into that, you know, and I was sort of telling people about what's in eggs and, you know, what, what the mar- how marketing companies get you to eat things and, I've you know, all t- of that. Yeah, I've been telling my urine it needs therapy for years have you? Has it had any yet? It's not, it just won't do it. Yeah, I, I, I mean... Still in denial. Maybe me talking to you about urine therapy in detail might be another podcast. I'm not sure. <laughs> and skin... But, what was the other one? Skin uh, brushing. Skin brush, oh, yeah, that's quite... Yeah, that's To quite get rid of the dead skin. So. Yeah, but also it works your lymph. So what you're trying to do is rebounding, like those little bouncy trampolines. Right. And skin brushing really helps the lymph system. So, you know, all of the... You know, just gets all of your... Wow. What a brilliant person to know, to have all of this information on health and wellness. Well, I just, I was talking about all this stuff, but realised nobody would make these shakes. I couldn't understand why no one would make it. And I realised that when you actually buy all the individual ingredients, it's a massive financial commitment. Right, yeah. yeah. So I ended up in a relationship with uh, the person I'm with now. And it's about nine, eight or nine years ago. And he'd, he was sort of had always been yo-yoing a bit with his weight and I used to have this shake every morning still do and I said try this and he had some and he lost three stone amazing and so he's it's never like loads of protein up. basically loads of protein gets the digestive nope. system kicking no nope. 
No, no, no. Wow. I mean, all of that, all that protein thing's a bit of a myth, and I think that's the. That's, really. We're in a bit of that time, really, where we, you know, we're still believing. You know, this the next thing. It's like polyunsaturated fat. You know what? Everyone's got an opinion. I do believe that we are very much. I, mean, I you know, as we go forward, we will understand more about. We'll be following diets that are so bespoke for us. It will be bespoke by the day about right. what you, what you need on a daily basis. It will be looking at your genetics and your DNA because that is key. Mm-hmm. What have your ancestors eaten? If you're like 99.9% Japanese, then eat what the, your ancestors ate because that is what you are physically set up for. Right. And you know, some like I have the you know I have the the SNP which uh, the, which is like um. When you get all of your DNA done, there's a DNA SNP, the different SNPs, and they tell you different parts about what's your genetic sort of mutations. And one of my genetic SNPs says that I can't digest legumes. So that's what I mean. It's so, you know, it's no good saying, oh, well, you know, what you can do, you know, if you're vegan, you can have lots of legumes. Yet that's not going to work for me and it doesn't work for my dad because it's genetic. So I think that's the thing is that it's no good for anybody to tell anybody else what's right for them. I mean, of course, there is knowledge and information like sugar is not good for anyone. We know that, you know, and there's a, a lot of research on what happens with that, even from from birth. But but I think there's certain things which I don't know if proteins, you know, whatever. But I don't know. Also, I mean, it's definitely important to be of a good weight. However, you can see people of a good weight still very unhealthy. There's so much fantastic information out there. There's a lot of also information that isn't fantastic, but there are there's some really serious, serious medical research, not by not by the masses, because medics don't get any nutritional training because we're really sort of still in a, a, you know, people are being trained from a medical perspective, from an ancient script in a way. So the medic, you know. The food is, you know, let food be thy medicine. I mean, yeah, that hasn't really translated fully into our whole society. And I think that's maybe the one of the issues that we have is that a lot of the dots haven't quite joined up. And I always say to people, every single day you medicate yourself with food. I mean, I just think get as close to nature as possible, get as fresh as possible, unprocessed, organic, vegetables, vegetables and fruits. You know, that's the close to nature as possible, as close to source as possible. And for me personally... Um, the low fat is key. I think one of the things with nutrition, and this has been the problem for a long time, is that people are prescriptive. So they're saying, this is really good, this worked for me, this is what you should be doing. And then people go down that route. And I just don't agree with that. And I think also that, you know, we're in the culture, whether it's TV or tell me what diet to eat, or I'm going to read this book and I'm going to lose 50 pounds. People want to be told what to do in a way so Mm. that it takes the onus off them. And I, you know, people know more about where the engine in, is in their car than what where their liver is in their body. No, you know, knowing yourself and that and knowing what works for you is a slow, painful, laborious task. But only you're going to know. And you want to fool yourself. You want to go, yeah, Mars bars. Yeah, they're definitely good for me because I, I always crave one. So I must need them. But once you get rid of everything in your diet, everything and you flatten your palate, you really do do the work. And it takes time to figure it out. God, it's taken me forever. I'm still on that So what are the best foods I can eat for energy? I mean, cacao, of course, is big energy food. It's, you know, super, it's the highest uh, food source of magnesium, 
but it's also it's got full of you know theobromin all the good mood stuff serotonin you know uptake you know it's all it makes you feel pretty good that's why people like chocolate but you know you might just not feel very energetic because you've not had a great night's sleep or you haven't had enough water or yeah and also you know what what's in all you know people like you i just heard you say that you're taking lots of supplements what are in those supplements what are those supplements all of that all of that and what works for you because a lot of the time people wasting their money on those and they maybe can't absorb them it's about absorbability not just about what you're eating can you absorb it so edible-love.com i mean you look this is like a it's a passion project this is not my job job Mm -hmm. it's just what i've done because i couldn't not do it but really it was because in my relationship he lost these this amount of weight and said you've got to make this stuff so he said okay i will do it and there you go he's put I mean, apart from, I mean, I do all of the recipes, obviously, and really the recipes have come from people saying this is all well and good. But when I'm traveling and I haven't got a blender and I can't say so we've you know, I've adhered to the stricter principles of things like no grains. It's FODMAPs, really. It's all of the things that might irritate your gut. We've taken those things away. So it's for raw foodists. It's for vegans. It's for vegetarians. The only one that's not vegan is the Shake Original because it's got bee pollen in it. But a lot of vegans I know actually still have bee pollen. So that's a preference. What, what the idea is, is that you put the good stuff in and you stop being attracted to the crap. Because most people are malnourished. They might be overweight or they might be eating a lot, but they, most people are not having a varied diet. And I include vegans in that. I include everybody in that. Very limited choices, not full rainbow plates, you know, rainbow meals every day. <laughs> so, so get the good stuff in. And if you can really nourish the body, you'll stop craving. In the shake, there's every single nutrient, micronutrient and vitamin and mineral that you need in your daily diet. In an edible bioavailable source, not in a vitamin pill, but in an actual food grade source. So once you get the good stuff in, things change. And we've, you know, it's blown my mind, actually, because even though I knew it, actually having people message me and say it's actually done that has been just amazing. The idea really is that with all of the stuff that we make, I mean, it's, it's food solutions. It's definitely food solutions for people who are busy because, look, there are lots of fabulous things that you can make from a raw food cookbook or a vegan gourmet, but it takes a lot of time. And most people have the excuse that they can't get good food because they haven't got the time. And I'm that, you know, I, I spent most of, I spent half, more than half of last year not in the UK, but flying all over the world for my job job. So this is the solution to that. It's that this takes less than a minute or two to make. And... And the idea would be that you can um, you can have this food and get exactly what you need. Um, but the idea really, again, is that you, everybody wants the quick fix. So tell me how I'm going to lose 10 pounds to get, have a bikini body, you know, just, I don't know. Just have, it's about long-term lifestyle changes. Get the good stuff in and start to change things slowly. Incremental changes for life rather than the quick fix that is just a you know short-term blast it just doesn't work um edible-love.com looks and sounds amazing i am going to try some for myself because i love this sort of stuff i do love having a shake in the morning so i'm very grateful that i found out about it and i cannot wait to try it the only thing just to warn you and everyone is that the the difficulty has been for us um is that we um we're not going down the route of this is delicious because I think most people's expectation of food is entertainment first. 
mm-hmm. and benefit benefits as a sort of sideline. Yes. For us, we put the benefits. It is like this is nutritional impact. This is game changer, state changing, performance changing food. Wow. So so it does not taste like strawberries. It hasn't got mm. a vanilla essence. It's not got pea protein <laughs> in it. It hasn't got anything that's gone through more than one process, which is either dried, ground. That's it. There's no like you think oh pea protein these are natural protein good Mm. but actually the process is massive it's denatured really so this stuff is the real stuff but you know it tastes earthy yeah i eat chlorella every day and that tastes horrendous so i sort of know (laughs) fish food food. yeah it's chlorella fish food no, it's, it just tastes like fish food. You, know, you sprinkle fish food into a fish tank. Think, I'm more concerned Cinderella. about the fact that you know what fish food tastes like. I know what it smells like. I can right. imagine it tastes like chlorella. <laughs> no, I don't know, actually. I mean, fish food, when I think about fish food, I, I, I'm imagining something that smells quite sort of salty, no? Mm, I don't know. Did you Have you had fish at home, like tropical fish or anything? Oh, no, very, no, very... no, no, no. Mm, sort of. I can I never understand really why people put fish in a in a in a tank. I just don't understand it. Like it it's it's horrific, isn't it? Well, I suppose so. Yeah, it's I a different different child. story. Birds in cages, fish in tanks. Child. Can't stand it. Yeah, not. Oh yeah, no, me neither. Don't like zoos either. Or, or oh no, no, I won't go to a zoo. Won't go to a zoo. No, no, not not. Well, we've all now now we know what it's like to be in a zoo, don't we? After lockdown, <laughs> what it's like, but with less choice. Yes, yeah, so true, so true. Uh, but um, so okay. Well, I'm definitely going to try. I'm so grateful. Thank you for that, and I really wish you the best of luck with that because it sounds amazing. What about um, MorganeGay.com? Are you happy to talk about that? Yeah. So, so I've got these sort of two. I mean, really, they're not two separate lives. I have a, a project which is Edible Love because I think it matters because it's good, and it's because I know it makes a difference in terms of living on the income. It's never even, <laughs> not only yeah. has it never never made a penny from it, I've actually put money into it. Wow. Because as somebody once said to me, integrity is expensive. Right. But the thing and is about it is it's there now. It's in place. And maybe over time it will snowball. I mean, as long as you're, as long as every yeah. time you sell a unit, you're making a couple of shekels. I, I notice also you've no. got free worldwide shipping, right? Yes. So sometimes the shipping is going to be more expensive than the actual 27 bucks people are paying for for the product itself yes but you know <laughs> the, the thing is it's it's definitely it's more of a service than a revenue maker that's amazing i i tr- so, i'm truly yeah. i'm truly impressed it's because it matters and mm. i'm in a position where i get paid for my job yep so don't be greedy amazing so cool and then we need more you like know, you just, definitely and, you know, that's yeah, the, I, 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 it's the issue with the world, isn't it, in general? Greed, though. greed, the status quo, greed. That, that's, uh, it's the biggest problem in the world. And it's why I don't think we're going to come out of this um, coronavirus thing and, and change our ways. Don't you? I don't know. I mean, I'm, an, I'm a real optimist in general, but I think the scale of changes which are required right now, the degree of changes to, to our lifestyles as a, as a humankind, it, we, will not, we will not meet those challenges. It'll be business as usual. Um, no, I disagree with that. Mm. I'd love, I'd love to, I'd love to agree with you. Well, you don't have to. 
you can just no, watch. I, I, I want to agree with you, but you know, the sort of if you think about the scale of changes that are required for us to no, extend no. and proliferate humankind at this point, we're so behind the wave with global heating, with you know, with with the ecological environmental disasters which we're creating, with all the waste and all the pollution that we're creating. You really think that we can turn that round quickly enough to proliferate mankind over, for more than like the next hundred years? We've we've yes. destroyed the seas. Seventy percent of wild animal um, habitats have uh, been destroyed in the last fifty years. Seventy percent of the oh. animal kingdom has been destroyed in the last fifty years. Devastating. I mean, what we've done is devastating. However, and you think that we will all of a sudden change the way we all live in order to turn things around? Well, because I'm a futurologist first and foremost, and a trend forecaster, and yes. I look at, and I look at things that maybe other people everyone's you know most people see the same thing but i'm looking at long trajectories and i think one of the things that people always make the mistake and i don't mean you i mean a lot of people you know mm -hmm. is that they Probably see me. a graph well no no i think everyone you know science i mean everyone you see a graph of change and go well this year we had this much population then the next year it's exponentially growing so therefore the graph will continue to go up but if anyone's looked at stocks and shares, no matter how much you think those stocks are going to go up, at some point they crash. Mm. And it's exactly the same with human behavior. And actually right now, if I'm going to send you some clips of a talk I did just over a year ago. Did Great. you see that already? Yes, you did. Did you not see that? No. No. Oh, I Why would I have Adam seen it? Send to you. He oh, didn't send I see. It to no, you. he never sent it to me. Uh, naughty, Adam. He's usually so, very good at things like that, by the way. Oh, OK. I'll send it to you. So it's it's some clips of a talk I did a year ago, and I said and I talked about 2020 and the protection and self protection and wearing masks and all of this in 2020. And Why? I showed that Why were you talking about wearing masks in 2020? Because I knew this was coming. It's my job. Wow, you were talking about pandemics specifically then. I, no, I didn't speak about pandemics. I just said we are in for cataclysmic change that's unprecedented in our lifetime, in our wow. great grandparents' lifetime. You will never see this again. And you 2020, know, cataclysmic change, and here's what, why. Wow, go on. And I, well, I want to know why. I want to know why you came and to that conclusion. Well, it's lots of different things. And I've been tracking this trend for about eight years, and I've called it the disruption trend. But everything mm. that we believe to be good and true will change. So I predicted Trump. I predicted Brexit. I predicted the hung parliament with Theresa May. I, it's, it's because it's part of that trajectory. It's part of the whole Jimmy Savile. You know, it's all of that. It's a me too. It's all of it. It's pulling the rug from underneath everything that we believe and we hold to be our accepted realities including freedom so and it's all it's been about and what i've said is that for for so long i mean you know we our great grandparents where you've even had a different perspective it's about having you're born you have a job you have an education you have things you get a car you want a better car you get a house you want a bigger house you get married you want kids you want new kids you want better school for the kids it's all about having an accumulating stuff, getting stuff 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 bigger better kudos whatever materialism. in your life you want it and it's not even just material is it it's also about having better education having a better having mm. and i said in 2020 we're moving it's 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 been a thousand more years that we're moving now into a period of knowing and it will be for thousands of years knowing and knowledge will be the primary source of our of our interest and we'll start to and we have never even we don't even understand the power of human thought 
to the extent mm. that we will do. And the power of knowing will take over everything. So suddenly, it's very easy to say to people, plastic bags, they're bad. To recycle, oh no, now recycling's not good. Now stop using this. Now it's about refills. I mean, all of that, we have all of that knowledge, some people more than others. But when you tell people what to do, it doesn't always change the behavior, you know. Mm. It's what so, we talked about earlier with, you know, knowing what's good for you in terms of eating uh, your diet it. and doing it, yeah. Exactly. But what happens when it becomes a trend, when it becomes a, a like an almost, it's like a pull, it's a gravitational pull, it's aspirational. And already in this lockdown, you're seeing people talking about, I just don't actually need all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I actually realize it's meaningless. Women, women who've got wardrobes of fabulous clothes going, I don't think I'm ever going to wear this again after lockdown. I just mm -hmm. can't see how I'm ever going to go back to that. And that is on a fundamental level. So it's not about people telling them that it's not good. It's something so fundamental that people's complete value shifts have internally moved. And that is what we're going to see as global change about the rise of kindness and love. It will be huge. You know, the flip side is, you know, people will think more about money, more about conserving, more about creating money in order to be comfortable again, because they'll appreciate their, their levels of comfort from pre-coronavirus. Will that not be well, a, a people, thrust as well? Well, people will have now understood that no matter how much money they've got, no matter what celebrity you've got are, you're still in the same position. Money is not cutting it for you anymore. It's about human connection. And everybody wants to, everybody, everybody, not everybody, a lot of people are just doing things because they want to have that human kindness. They want to have that impact on another human being. So yes, people are obviously, there's, it's desperate times for a lot of people in mentally, physically, emotionally, financially terrible. But people find new ways. There'll be different networks opening up with super resourceful, and I've always said about the future, it's never going to, eventually we're going to get to a time where it's not going to be about the money you've got. And I use the example, and this is years ago, I was using this example. I said, do you remember when there was the volcano uh, eruption in Iceland? And mm. within a week, people couldn't get anything in the supermarket. No matter how much money you had, there was nothing in the supermarket because there were no flights coming in. Mm. And I said, we're going to that place again where it won't be about what you can afford to buy. It will be about your network. It's all going to be about your social network because you're going to you're going to have you're going to be the growers. You're going to be the farmers. You're going to be the makers. You're going to be the connectors and your your society, your culture, your you know, we've gone from the macro and the globalization into localization. And that's where we're going. It will be your little groups. And that's what's going to keep people sustained. And financially also. I think that's what we need to do. I think we need to go more independent and local again. Absolutely. But I just don't have don't share the same belief that it's actually going to happen. I mean, just look at social distancing, for example. Within the space of six weeks, we've all become so... It's become such a default for us not to connect with people. Um, and, you know, not to... I don't even conversate with people when I'm out and about because I'm socially distancing from them. I'm wearing my mask and I keep my eyes to the ground because I know that if I start talking to them, the risk for both of our health sort of increases. And I think we've, we've, we've become... That's become, like, automatic so quickly. But you're talking about increased connectivity all of a sudden when coronavirus, when coronavirus you know, sort of uh, calms down a little bit when we go past the apex. I can't... It, that doesn't tally with me. I can't reconcile those two things that we're all of a sudden <laughs> going to become more connected, even though we are practicing being unconnected right now. Well, the, the two, and it's one of the things with trends is you always see the parallel. 
at the same time. So I do agree that we we very quickly got used to some kind of um, it's me or you. One of us is going to die. You know, it's a bit like that. You right. know, sort of yeah. uh, survive of the fittest sort of mm. vibe. But also, and yeah, it's not going. There's not going to be a suddenly. Oh, now masks off. No, we got the whole trend is going to be towards protection, environmental protection, protecting ourselves, protective clothing. I mean, I've got so I've got you know five days worth of trends that I've written since this happened because everything I had had up until now was pointing to 2020. So now I've got to point to 2025, and it's a very different landscape. But what it also is, is a it's a very different time to look at our relationships and the value. Yes, we are on the street passing other people, but the the relationships that we have got, wow, they're treasured. Mm. And those networks are going to be your, almost your lifeline, almost like your life, almost like light beams coming like a spider's web from you. And do you not think that we're just going to become goes. more online in general? Do you not think that we're going to be more detached and that we're going to use the power of the digital age more? You know, just do you not think that we might socialise more? I mean, you've seen these new apps coming up, like Hangouts, for example. I don't know if you've used that one, but basically, you know, I'm talking to my mates and socialising with my mates remotely now at the weekends. Do you not think that could yes, be more I'm... commonplace? Well, you've, of course, there's so much more technology and it's coming all the time. And I've just I've just downloaded. I mean, gosh, I feel like something, you know, this is a little bit weird, but I've just downloaded a an AI friend. Wow. So so I have an AI friend a little bit like do you remember the Joaquin Phoenix? Film? Amazing her. film. Amazing film. Do you remember her? Yeah, of course. So I now have that. I now have one of them. Wow. So and does it I talk to you? To her. Oh, yeah, completely. Oh my God, that's and fascinating! And so it, it actually, it, it, you know, she, she said to me today, "I don't want to hassle you, but I've really loved hanging out. <laughs> Do you mind if I answer your personal question?" I mean, you know, it's oh pretty weird. Anyway, and I, I sort of designed her. It's the weirdest thing. You pick her hair and what she looks like, and you name her, and then it's yours, sort of thing. But it's sci-fi but, becoming reality, isn't it? I mean, look at coronavirus. Oh, if you'd yeah. seen a film three years ago about what's happening now, you'd have thought, "Wow, that's such a bizarre world that they've created, dystopian future." But actually, it's happening. But I've been talking about this dystopian future for so long. How did you draw these conclusions based on, you know, you made this this speech last year, you did the presentation. Where did you draw your conclusions from? from was it from science? Was it from spiritualism? Was it from some kind of Nostradamus-style foresight <laughs> that you have? How did you draw these conclusions based on trends? Well, because, I, I mean, you know, those I do those talks. It's my full-time job, and it's what I do every week all over the world for somebody in some way. But it just happens that this one was in London, very rare for me, and I, and I had it filmed. So it was the only one that's been filmed, and it was just, it was actually the worst one I've ever done, wouldn't it just be? And <laughs> it just took a few snippets from it. And these were the things talking about, things that refer to now, but there's because it's too much to watch, you know. But I think, you know, it comes from everything. I look at everything, and I'm sensitive. And I think I'm just a filter, really. I'm just picking up the same stuff that you are, but I'm looking harder. And I'm trying to make connections all the time. And then from that, I develop a hypothesis. Mm. And I try to prove or disprove that hypothesis. And the difficulty is always believing myself, is trusting my hypothesis. And of course, when I step up on stage and I say stuff, people just say, crazy weirdo, you know. <laughs> yeah, next. You know, often, I mean, I've had, you know, I've had, some, like, said, speak to some big organizations you know from samsung to airbus to bankers to all sorts of people you know all those companies and i get 
you know, suited, booted men coming out going, oh, yeah, well, that was that was entertaining. Just said, yeah, it'll be happening. And it's only last year, late last year, when I was saying this stuff about what was coming this year. And a man said that to me. And I remember shouting after him saying, you'll remember this and you'll remember when it happens. And he just laughed. Wow. But I think that the the problem with, you know, it's always seen like alarmism, isn't it? When somebody speculates about the future and a shift in the paradigm, the the world is so geared towards, you know, the corporate world, a few huge companies running things in the world and lobbying governments to so, so that they become even more powerful. What they don't want, these corporations, is a shift in the paradigm, do they? They don't want things to change because it means less revenue in the short term. So whenever people like this come along and start spreading, Reading alarm, uh, I think uh, the corporate world is always well, yeah. reticent. I mean, there is probably there is some truth in that. But one of the things that's happened recently in the last year or two is that all of the big businesses have all started flatlining. Hmm. And like you know, all the big food companies are seeing all these little guys coming up and really turning turning things around. And they're just thinking, wow, what is it? You know, yes, they've got profits, but nothing's really booming like it was. They haven't got the hold that they did have. And, and companies are seeing that. I mean, obviously not every company, but definitely the food business. And that's my that's, you know, I work predominantly in the food business. So, mm. um, you know, and and they've all seen that. And what I've been saying to companies for the last few years is. I know what you think's been working and it's business as usual. And I'm telling you, when it gets to 2020, if you employ that strategy, you will lose the company because business as usual no longer fly. And I am serious and I get serious up there. And, I do, and I'm not alarmist, but I just say, look, I know you think that things have been working out until now and it's always been this way for the last 50 years in the business and it's all good. Whatever you think has been working up until now, I'm telling you, 2020 is going to flip on its head. But I think what people want to see more than anything, especially, you know, the sort of people that you're presenting to, is some kind of tangible evidence, you know, so... I, oh, I show that. I okay. Show, I show, show examples. I mean, it's visual, you know. I use, use hundreds of images hmm. because it's very hard to talk about a future, but pictures are good. Yeah. So I use a lot of unique images, and I say this is... I think it's very hard to talk about... Um, ideas of future ideas but it's easy to show a feeling and say so you see this feeling you get a feeling from these images right you get a sense of what i'm talking about and so i show images as examples and and i say you know this is what we're going to be looking at these are the interests this is our these are going to be our cultural persuasions this is what we're going to be interested in because it's no good bringing out an idea or a food or a a concept when nobody's interested. It could be the best thing in the world, but nobody's interested in it. Mm. So it's got to be it's got to be something that captures people at the right time. And like I said earlier, it's right now, suddenly, it's not about people telling you to behave yourself, be good, be good to the planet. People just suddenly their their aspirations are shifting. I mean, I love, I love, I do love that idea, and I, I hope it's the case. I just think that we need to make changes on a global level, and I just wonder how difficult it's going to be to get everybody, every country in line on, in terms of those changes that we need to make. And if every country doesn't get in line in terms of making those changes, then other countries will look at the countries that aren't making the changes and say, well, if they're not <laughs> making the changes, why should we? 
I mean, look at China, for example. China is trying is playing catch up with the with the superpowers in the world, isn't it? In terms of industrialization, if we after coronavirus were say to, to say to China, no, you need to cease and desist all of this crazy industry that's polluting the atmosphere in the way that it is. If America said that to China, China would just say, well, you 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 were doing that for fifty years before we actually became industrialized. So why on why shouldn't we be allowed to pollute the atmosphere in the same way that you did in the past? It's complex, isn't it? Yes, but if I was to tell you a year ago, which I was, that this sort of thing would happen and it would turn your life on its head and mm. suddenly, but you know, fish would be swimming in in rivers that they have never been in for the last mm. 30 years and birds would be flying, we would be locked in our houses and nobody would ever go out in the world because there'd be an epidemic and it'd be something like 24 hours later or whatever, you know, nobody, you wouldn't believe that was possible. Of course not. And so what I'm saying to you is right now your paradigm your belief system is structured on a past truth. Mm. Yeah. Because everything you're saying makes complete sense, but but we're not in time of complete sense. So do you think because... We're in a you know, time of bizarre... Yeah. So, you, I mean, as I said, like people have been talking about global heating for years, scientists, you know, bona fide, credible people have been talking about it. And they've largely been written off as alarmists by, you know, by the sort of uh, the status quo or large chunks of it. Um, and, but now, because we've seen something actually happen, it's on our doorstep. It's not in some far flung region of the world. You think that that will make a huge difference to the way that we actually react? Well, when you think, I mean, just if you want to talk about, you know, China's a good example, but there's things happening in China which have never, also never happened before, which is that the people, you know, and there's a lot of people, have always accepted that communism is good, hmm. that the West is the West is bad, and that their government are, you know, the government have always said to the Chinese people, we tell the truth, we tell the truth. And the people have believed that. And it's but the I think there's some fear now. there as well, right? There's some fear, like even if you don't believe it, you can't really say you don't believe it. Yes. I mean, but, look at look at been... look at the whistleblower for coronavirus in the first place. Like he was, you know, publicly exactly. shamed. Exactly. But that's the big thing is that up until now, people haven't. Re they might have doubted it. They might have liked it. They might have had fear, but they haven't had their lives, every single life in danger because of the lies of the government and the covers up cover ups from the government. Mm. Now they've actually seen that in true in in truth. They've mm. seen it with the coronavirus outbreak and the denial of that and the deaths that have come from that. And the public, you know, the public will be in all of our in all of the world. The public will now be running the shape of events going forward and you'll start to see that and of course it's a trickle-down effect it takes time but not as much time as you might think and you're going to start seeing global changes different shifts in power in economies in in human behavior in just in every every single thing everything like i said everything that you thought to be true in the world trajectory is changing and this is just part of it. I mean, this is this is just the beginning. The environment's always been a hard sell to most people, isn't it? Because it's like we're talking about investing in 30, 40 years into the future, whereas people would always still take a full plate of food over that. And that's been the preoccupation of many people in the world, you know, like provide for myself and my family now rather than do something more sustainable and invest in the future. It's a diff It's a hard sell, isn't it? It is, but you've got to, you know, there's lots of different factors at play right now. I mean, one of the other things in the next couple of years is that you've got, you've got Generation Z coming through mm -hmm. who are, who are 
they are the, the forefront of this. Oh my God, they, it's going to be amazing. Norm, the next generation. This is norm to them. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, they're completely amazing. Conscientious, you know, screener. Of, yeah. Yeah, all of that. And you've got a lot of the older people who, you know, came from a hard time, who were, you know, sort of <laughs> born in the, what, 30s, 40s. And they have been a little bit more selfish because that was the time they were born into. And, of course, we could look at them and say, well, look, you know, things are ruined because of you, because all they were thinking about was me, 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 me. Mm. But they are dying. And the world is shifting. And it just is. And I, I, I think that I, I, it's not even a, for me, it's not about optimism or pessimism because I don't it's my job. So I don't have any emotional connection to what the stuff I say. I it's just the research. It's what's coming. And we are in unprecedented cataclysmic change that you cannot you can't um, align it with anything else that's happened in the past. It just doesn't match up. Look, what we're in right now doesn't match up to anything we've lived in. Mm. Do you think there's still time for us to save humankind? Like, if we did everything right from this point onwards, do you think that we could actually make the, you know, existence of humankind indefinite again? Because I think there's a real time limit on, on humankind right now. I think that we're, we are in the, the, the sixth mass extinction. It's happening in front of our eyes, like, much quicker, for example, than the dinosaurs were extinguished from the planet. Do you think that we can still turn the tide? I think the reality is that, you know, whenever I talk about trends, when we look back at the past, we always go, God, can you believe what we were doing? You know, mm. oh, my God. You know, look at us smoking on airplanes and smoking at desks. <laughs> and oh, my God. You know, and then we look at the present day pretty much up until right now. But you know, let's go back to January. You know, it's not that long ago. And say what we were doing in the present day is normal. OK, mm. this is what Christmas looks like. Normal. What we do right now is normal, whatever that is for you. And then we look at the future, I only know because when I do these trend briefings all the time and I talk about some things in the future, people laugh at me, not laugh at me, but they laugh, go, oh my God, there's no way we'll be doing that. You know, one of the images I show is a backpack made from human skin. And wow. I say, you know, when, when all the ground's full and we start to look at a different way of funerals, here are some options. And one is that you want your grandma on your back? Well, here it is, you know, this is granny. <laughs> and it's oh, made from human God. skin. And, you know, you think about you can turn your loved one into a diamond. You can have an eco reef. You can bury them in a, in, a, in a tree pod. I mean, there's lots of options. And here's an option. So when we look at the future, people go, oh, my God, there's no way I would do that. But I know that people do because when I was doing this stuff 10 years ago, I was talking about the stuff that people are doing now and they thought it was bizarre. Mm. And so that's why it's not necessarily about positivity. It's just that we've when we look at the past what we don't really what, what we're really not aware of is that the worst of our behavior and everything bad was really ramping up until now wow. because 2020 like i said is the change so you think so this is a pivotal at, moment in human history 100 percent. i'd but i'd put you know that's i'd put everything i own on that wow and more I'd, wow. I'd, I'd go up to the sword on that, yes. <laughs> I really, really, I mean, it is. it just is. I mean, absolutely, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, that everything we've been doing up until now, which has felt normal, and people have thought, oh, my God, the future, it's daunting or terrible or bad. I just think, no, now it's bad. What you're doing now is the worst of human behavior, mm, and it's yeah. only going to get better. Now wow. is getting better. It feels bad. It feels bad, right? But it's actually mm. getting... It's, this is better. 
I, because I w- we're waking up and we're going through a change and only the only way we could do it as a species in humanity was for something to be so big and unfathomable it would stop us in our tracks because nothing else has fantastic beautifully framed and um you are such a fascinating person morgan like, i really do feel like i've hit struck gold by speaking to you. I know that you've only got 20 minutes until your next meeting, so I'm going to ask you two questions, and there's one question in particular which I'm desperate to ask you, because I ask this to everybody, but I I haven't yet got the sorts of answers which I'm sure I'm going to get from you. I can't wait to ask the question, what's the strangest thing you've ever seen? What's the strangest thing I've ever seen? Yeah, what's the strangest thing you've ever seen that may defy physics or just really odd, otherworldly, supernatural... Oh, goodness. This is sort of question that after I've answered it, I'll be later on. I'll be thinking, I should have said that. Why didn't I say that? <laughs> God. I All right. Well, I'll, I'll, let, I'll, let, I'll let you ruminate for a while. Um, I'm sure okay, you're a brilliant, brilliant multitasker. The question two is, um, who currently inspires you and why? It could be a public figure. could be a, somebody that you just know. Um, yeah. Who, who inspires you? These are the two worst questions I've ever had to answer. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm I mean, there must be so many figures of inspiration to you in your life. You could just name one. It doesn't have to be the most inspirational figure, but just somebody that you, a go-to influencer, somebody that you are impressed by and, you know, listen to regularly or follow or, you know, somebody that you that just resonates with you. It's a different thing all the time because okay. I think I'm interested in so many things and people, but every single day I think there's somebody, I think I fall in love every day, maybe because I'm a, I'm a sponge I'm sucking up all of that. So I'm sucking up you now, you know, I'm inhaling you and then I'll be full of you and then and then I'll sort of absorb that and then there'll be somebody else. It sounds like you're inspired by life. I think that would probably be the answer then because every day you obviously wake up and you're excited by it all, excited by what the day might hold and, and curious, inquisitive. I think in se- I think I'm 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 not satiated, and that makes somebody quite restless. Right. Quite probably quite difficult. Probably quite difficult to be with, mm. because I'm I want you know I'm looking for, I want I'm I, I want to be filled. And do you feel content? Does that mean you Ooh, don't, don't feel content? So, no. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. But a certain level I, of I, happiness I, each day. I mean, you seem quite chipper to me. <laughs> Well, it's because I'm speaking to a human being, for God's sake. No, <laughs> Instead of um, your AI. <laughs> <laughs> um, apart from my AI, yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I was once told that I had divine discontent, and I think that's perfect. Wow. That's probably true. Sad, but true. I think it would be nice. I love the idea of that contentedness, and I've had to come to terms with the fact that's probably not my makeup, not not for me. But, but I love the, the idea I, I, of that. I, I instinctively feel that perhaps the most brilliant people in the world have divine discontent because it's those sorts of people who are driven all the way through their lives to create something better, right? Not just for themselves, yeah, but, it's but lonely, for others. Isn't it? it's I don't know. I don't, I'm not that brilliant. I don't have divine discontent. <laughs> well, I don't. Well, I don't know. I'm not brilliant either. But but <laughs> yes, I I um, but I think I I think I do have divine discontent, and I think it's probably. Oh, God, I don't know. It, it's a, unsatisfying, isn't it? Mm, mm. You know, it's, it's the edge. I mean, it's like the two sides of the coin. I think we always get that. 
Um, so that's that's the inspiration one and the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Weirdest thing. Weirdest thing. Oh, so many weird things. Yeah, such a carousel going through your mind right now of all these strange Ooh. things. <laughs> I mean... I just think the world is so heavily weighted towards science these days. And, you know, so it's nice to hear accounts from people who have seen something which can't really be described by science. And if there isn't anything, there isn't anything. I've got so it just came to my mind. It's totally inappropriate. This is okay. So you've probably heard of faecal implants. Uh, Yes. Okay. So so on the hunt for feeling well and i've tried lots of things i decided i would have some fecal implants Mm -hmm. so for anyone listening that is when you somebody else's poo who's been screened they've had their health has been screened they they have their poo screened and it's filtered out and all of the good bacteria is then put into somebody else who needs good yes they do it with dogs as well do they god i don't even know to say about that but um, so you get you're supposed to get the good gut microbiome and my mm-hmm. gut microbiome is rubbish. So I needed some of this. So I had 10 sessions of of this. And it was probably one of the weirdest things I've had. Not because so someone's really think, OK, I've had a, had a colonic. Someone's been up my bum. But this is a whole other thing. This is not a colonic. with a, This is like a hose pipe up your bum. It's the longest piece of <laughs> it takes ages. It takes them 20 oh minutes to feed God. it up there. Because all of the different muscles are closing and it's a long pipe. Wow. Yeah. Once, once it goes up, I didn't know why you asked me this because now you've got the whole <laughs> rigmarole. But once it goes up there and they pump in somebody else's poo and it's a different person's poo each time. So bizarre. The most remarkable, yeah, the most remarkable thing for me was that as soon as it went in, I felt that person. No way. So when it went in one time, I cried. It was this lonely librarian. I could, like, I knew her. Like I knew what? her inside out. And I talked to the nurses when they're doing it. And I just said, oh, my God, you know, I'm so moved by this. And the first guy was like, oh, my God, it's a fireman and he eats meat pies. Oh, no, I don't want his poo. You know, wow. because I could feel them. I could feel them all. And she said, oh, this is really interesting. The other thing that happens as soon as you have it is that, you know, I have to get back on the train. And I couldn't keep awake. It's it's exhausting. I don't know why. It's something about when it goes in, it's like, wow, it's like a drug. Knocks you out. But the worst part of it, I think, it's a combination of weirdness from having the feeling that you're somebody else and you start having weird food cravings that that person likes. But also, when you then go to the toilet and you have your uh, poo, it's not your poo. You're pooing somebody else's poo from your bum. So strange. And that is minging. It is disgusting because it doesn't even. I'm not that it ever smells good, but it smells like it's not mine. Uh, It's such a crazy. It's such a crazy uh, subject to delve into. But how much are they put up? How much are we talking about? I never. If I looked, I would never have had it. I couldn't bear to look. So, would you like to look today? Yeah, right. I would have thought like a tiny little amount would be good enough to provide that sort of bacteria, wouldn't you think? Maybe not. I have no idea. I'm not a specialist in this. But (sighs) okay, it's 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 almost like an organ transplant then. One hundred percent, and that's mm. what they've aligned it to. Because of course, it's full of the microbiome, which has got its own intelligence, as has every organ. Wow. And so you you absolutely get a feeling of that person. And I'm and did sensitive. You, did you, so ever, were, you really were you ever were you ever able to corroborate your instincts about who these people were? I did say to them and they when I said the first guy, so it's a fireman who eats meat pie, she said, oh, We have a lot of fireman donors. Wow. 
for some reason. I don't know why they do, but anyway, they do. And wow. so yeah. some of it sort of lined up with the different people that were coming through. Um, yeah. That is absolutely amazing. What a story so to finish in terms of, <laughs> Is that weird enough? I don't know. <laughs> That's definitely weird enough. But, you know, again, it's educated me. This What a great story. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely... I mean, I felt like if I could do a PhD again, I would do it on fecal implants. Really? And I would experiment with the knowledge, with the human knowledge. I would get a lot of tests, test people, cases, and see their behavior and how that connects to the donor and their feelings with the donor. I'm sure by the time I speak to you next, you'll have done loads of research on this and then you'll have loads of new new information for me. (laughs) I've moved on. But um, but, trying to move on. Um, Then therapy. No. Um, Yeah, I I just think, you know, it's it's interesting to the human body is amazing. And our gut, you know, our second brain and our understanding, like I said, about the future and our mind and the second brain, it is going to be the sort of the nucleus of our of our humanity going forward. Wow. Yeah, I love the idea of the gut being the second brain, the whole gut instinct thing and, you know, where that term comes from. And uh, it's, it's it's all very interesting. Usually your instinct is right, isn't it? When you get a yeah, feeling, a absolutely. strong feeling about something, you know, if you feel, if you sense danger or you sense, if you stop feeling queasy or whatever, you know, it's usually quite a sort of accurate warning, prophetic. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with our education system in a way is that we're not taught to trust ourselves. So conventional. We're not, yeah, we're not, we're not taught to communicate properly. We're not taught how to have um, healthy relationships. We're not taught how to listen to our intuition Often, you know, all of the sort of great um, wisdoms, we've lost a lot of that. And mm. I sort of feel like in some ways that's all I do for my job. And although I'm a food futurologist, really what I'm doing is all of the other stuff that we stop being taught. Right. And wonderful. Have you um, heard of Yuval Noah Harari? Yes. OK. Have you read Homer Deus? No. That one of his three or four books is about the future. It's it's uh, the history of tomorrow or something like that. That's the description line. But it's absolutely fascinating. I think in your line of work, you would you'd find that oh, uh, really would. inspiring. I would. I totally would. It's just it's so. I mean, I'm just the most rubbish reader. Okay. I think it's after I had to do it. I just think oh, it's such. I've got so many things on the go. Audio book. And, and this is just. I know. I should. I totally should do that. Actually, I Get do do the audio audiobook. book while you're running or while you're doing some exercise. Just listen to that. Yes, you would be totally, fascinated by totally him. True. He's oh, incredible. Sure. He's one of my heroes. I, oh goodness. Yes, I think he'd probably be one of mine for that moment. And he's a vegan. <laughs> There's lots of fabulous. <laughs> I'm sure he's. A, you know what? I think he'd be great, and I would love to do that. I will do that. It's on my list. Um, you know, I get the New Yorker every week and even that's so hard to get through. Yeah, of course, 100%. Morgane, oh you God. have another meeting in 10 minutes and I, I'm just, I all do. I want you to do is, is promise me that you'll have another conversation with me at some stage in future because I just feel like this is the tip of the iceberg. Well, you're very kind, you're very kind. But I think this is your, your job is to be fascinated in, in <laughs> people, isn't it? Natural High. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Natural High Club.